You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Teresa Moulton. Terry Moulton with the Change Management Review podcast, and I'm here very excited to introduce you to our guest, Miriam Dix of the 180 organization. She is a consultant in transforming organizations to achieve optimal operational performance. Over the past 20 plus years, she has held several positions in operations management and operations consulting, as well as serving as adjunct faculty faculty teaching operations courses on both the graduate and undergraduate level. Miriam's passion for operations is fueled by her belief that any organization can operate in excellence with the right tools for change. She serves as the CEO of the 180 Management Group. We're going to talk about culture and transformation today. So without further ado, welcome, Miriam. Well, thanks for having me here. I'm so excited. Yes, we're excited to have you too. Um, one of the things that we don't talk a lot about on this podcast is operations and culture. Um, mm. And I, I I think that culture gets a, kind of a backseat in a lot of change management um, implementations. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really going to, you know, it's really nice to um, bring that to the fore and bring some uh, light to the issue. Um, so there's many ways to define culture. Uh, Miriam, how do you define it? Well, we are we have a very specific way that we really look at culture because as a management consulting firm, we would like to focus on, our major focus is really on operations. And so when we talk about culture, we're talking about an operational culture. Uh-huh. And uh, we define that in three different ways, so or three different aspects to it. So one is how people work together, mm-hmm. how they actually perform their work, and how work is actually used, their work is actually used uh, to, to gain meaningful data for strategic planning. Because in those different facets, we'll find that there is a culture that's associated with the organization and how they operate. Um, and so we're looking at those three components, how people work together, the how they perform their work, the processes that they have in place. Um, when we say how people work together, it's like their job descriptions and how they actually <laughs> do their work before, right? So how okay. we work together, who's on first? Right. <laughs> Who has this responsibility? How do people work together? Um, how do they uh, perform their work? What processes do we follow? Um, and then how is the work informing our strategic planning? What reports are available? What's the data that we can use for our strategic planning uh, and to, to uh, better um implement our plans as an organization. So that's what we look at when we talk about operational culture. Okay. But to define that specifically, uh, culture is a shared practice, mm-hmm. belief, and behaviors. Mm-hmm. So shared practices, shared beliefs, and shared behaviors, they form your culture. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we, we look at our cultural um, assessments that we do for our organization or for our clients. That's really interesting because I've heard and seen uh, a lot of folks really focus on 
the values, the beliefs, and the behaviors, but not so much on the practices and processes. Um, and I think that's where some of the disconnect is, actually, because uh, people will work and transform the practice and the processes and then talk about what the impact is on culture, but you're including it in the def definition of how you're looking at operational work. Because, for example, um, showing up to meetings late, that's a behavior. Yes. Right? If you're trying to, um, and I had several conversations this week, so I'm trying to just kind of glean from some of the things I've learned this week. But if you're trying to, as a project manager or even as a consultant work with an organization, you know how hard it is to um, to really move the needle or move the dial when you can't even get people to show up to meetings. Right. This, this, is, a, this is the work that they've paid you to do. Right. And they are showing up to the meetings. They aren't, you know, doing the assignments or the homework or whatever their part is. That is a culture. Um, right. And then a culture, there's another aspect of culture, which impacts us too, as consultants, as change management leaders, not making decisions. That's a culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or waiting until everyone is on board to make a decision. That's a culture. Right. Those right. Behaviors. Yeah. And, and, and that's because there's a shared belief that this is okay. Mm -hmm. And because their belief is that this is fine, might be based out of, oh, we're a family. I work with a lot of nonprofits. So we're just a big family here. And so that's a belief which has a behavior attached to it. Because we're a family, oh, don't worry. Susie's late. She's always late. Oh, that's just who she is, right? Uh -huh. it, it, sort of, it morphs from a belief to a behavior and then to a practice. That's a great way to look at it. And, and so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at, and, and the way we do it, we say that culture is systemic. It's a part of every aspect of your organization. And so when we're looking at how it is that we can help an organization transform, we're looking at how can we systematically go in and make adjustments that are going to create this cultural uh, transformation that's necessary because culture is systemic. So we try to change it systematically. Very interesting. That's great. And when you talk about that, um, how does culture impact operations? So um, <laughs> I was having a uh, conversation yesterday, um, and I've had this conversation several times. And I think the best way to answer this question is to give you an example. Have you ever worked with an organization that says, we're not tech savvy? Yes. Right? That is a belief that the organization may share. And what will happen with that is that um, whenever there's a new technology or application, software application introduced into the organization, it's almost as if they've given themselves permission to not use it well. Right. Because we're just not tech savvy. Right. So then you have all these great ideas about what technology can do for your organization, right? It can automate some things. It can help us with, you know, uh, a duplication of effort where we are entering uh, manually data into one system into another system. So we're going to get the software and it's going to do all these great things. But because we're not tech savvy and that's the culture that we we purport then when it comes time to fully utilize that system and leverage the capabilities of that particular software, that technology, it doesn't ever come to fruition. Right. So operationally, you may have three or four software applications that are only being used at 20% of their capacity because no one is taking ownership 
of saying, this is the system that we want to use and we're going to use it to its fullest capacity because it's going to give us some sort of operational efficiency, right? And so that type of culture, we're not tech savvy, allows people to get off the hook. You just, you know, I don't have to really fully endorse this because we're just not tech savvy. Right. That's a great example. And um, how do you work through a cultural transformation like that using uh, change management techniques? So um, <laughs> when when we are uh, developing a strategy, so so our some of those cultural barriers, right. we use change management principles when we develop the strategy. So let's say that there's a strategy for this tech solution, right? Which is, well, let's identify all the tech that you're using and how it's being used. And if there are any duplication of effort and, um, and, and determine which direction we want to move in so that we can really focus on what's necessary and not, you know, have so many things up in the air. So we may come up with a strategy that says that's what we're going to do. Well, we know that we're going to get some pushback, mm-hmm. right? Well, I, you know, I like using Mac. Well, I like using, you know, um, a, 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 you know, regular PCs. I don't like this whole Mac thing um, or Apple for that matter. I hate Apple. <laughs> or, or you might have some folks say, well, I like using Google platform. Well, no, I like Microsoft platform. Oh, well, I like using, um, let's think about these chat tools. Um, you might have the, uh, what are some of those chat tools? I can't think of some of them right now, but you have all these different preferences where people are just on different sides of the aisle about what they like. And mm-hmm. so we have to really come that we ha- it has to come down to what is best for the organization. And for those who don't, you know, when once the decision's made, those who are not in agreement with the decision, we have to use some of those change management principles and strategies to help bring them along. We talk about that whole uh, change curve mm-hmm. <laughs> and the valley of despair and pulling people out and getting them on track and on board with the new direction that we're moving in. And also some of the coaching, some of the accountability, how do we br- uh, bring in, you know, this new technology into their job descriptions and make sure that there's this, some sort of accountability. And so we're using these change management principles in our strategy work. And that's how we're able to overcome some of the pushback that we get from from you know trying to implement things that are going to transform culture. Great, I love it. So, so the part that's interesting about how you view culture is you're actually making cultural culture tangible enough to transform. Exactly. You know, and I think I think that makes a difference. Um, how do you apply change management in the nonprofit space? Because I know you do a lot of work in the nonprofit space, and I've um, I've done some work in nonprofits, and they're wonderful. And I find they have very different uh, cultural issues um, than for-profit organizations. Very much so. Um, the the nonprofit space, and I love my nonprofit clients. The the major barrier that I face as an operations consultant in that space is this idea that we're not a business, mm. right? You know, we're we're a nonprofit. We're here for the community. We're not corporate. Uh-huh. And um, that mindset really makes it difficult to ensure that, um, in some cases, business practices are are 
are above board and, and not necessarily above board, but but the best business practices are being utilized within the organization. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know, if we say that it's all about the community and people we serve, we can again take ourselves off the hook by having effective business practices, right? Because that's not what we're here for. We're here to serve the people. Uh-huh. And, and when you have that sort of mindset, when it comes to, you know, really building an efficient organization where, you know, and it's especially necessary in the nonprofit because in the nonprofit community, because you don't have waste, you don't have money for waste, right? Right. right. <laughs> you're raising every dollar to do the work that you're doing. So you really can't afford waste, but to, to really um, change that mindset about the work that you're doing and how it's undergirded by best business practices. And that's going to help you eliminate waste and be more productive and more efficient with the work or the resources you do have. That is a major uh, barrier at times. And so um, when change management principles are absolutely necessary in identifying those uh, folks who are going to be, you know, the ones who are going to give you the the most pushback, um, being able to build into any solution and strategy that you're using, some of those principles that are going to um, allow for, for us to really circumvent um, and then in, in some cases, just really identify and work through the hard, the hard conversations of this is what we need to do. And we are there to support those executive directors, those senior leaders, board members who uh, who need that kind of support because they have not had that in the past. I know right. plenty of, of senior leaders in the nonprofit space who, especially the COO, I typically have, you know, my friends are COOs. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> I needed you to come in because I know what needs to be done, but they won't listen to me. They need they need someone else to say what I've been <laughs> for the last, you know, 20 years. And right. so as so I'll come in and I will be able to echo or even say it differently. You know, I'm saying the same thing. I may just say it differently and the right. lights go off. And then we're able to, you know, have uh, make some progress within that organization, uh, but not because the COOs or those who are responsible for our operations don't know what needs to be done. It's that they don't have the support to say, you're right, really should do it this way. Um, and the nonprofit sector is just uh, a lot of people who are driven by their heart. Right. And not by business, as- the business aspect of it all. Yes, exactly. I find they're uh, very cause driven which I love because it's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as you start to map processes, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, don't really want to do that because it eliminates the flexibility um, of yes. how we do our work. Yes. Um, so, and I totally get it. You know, I, I totally get it. Um, so how do you build collaboration into that change process within a nonprofit? How, you know, what are, what are some of your... Um, strategies for addressing that um, challenge of building in business uh, a business process into a culture that really likes to perceive themselves as you know we're here for the community. Well, a couple of things. One is, if it's not an identified pain point, you'll never make any change. Right. Right. So if an organization doesn't agree that that's the pain point that they have, you're already dead in the water. Right. That's <laughs> right? right. Exactly. And, it, and it's really not the organization. It's the senior leader. Right. Because you're the change champion. Right. Yes. So, so if the senior leader doesn't believe that there are operational challenges um, associated with how they currently perform their work, then there's no change there. 
Right. If there is this buy-in that, oh yeah, we have challenges, it's a matter of identifying the challenge um, and then connecting that to a pain point. Right. For example, um, turnover, staff turnover is a big pain point, especially in nonprofit sector. And a lot of times what, what they attribute the turnover to is that we don't, we don't pay like they do in corporate America. Right. And statistics don't show that that's why people leave. Oh. Statistics show that they leave because either they don't feel like there's any upward, um, uh, what do you call it, trajectory, you know, into uh -huh. leadership roles, that the organizations tend to be really flat, so they don't have any opportunities to to really grow and, and uh, climb the ladder. Yeah. That there is an issue when it comes to culture, and sometimes it's you know a lot of um, sort of family, sort of a family environment that doesn't lend to a lot of accountability, um, and and there are several other factors when it comes to how those nonprofit organizations are run or managed that are more uh, are, are higher in the the decision matrix for those who are leaving the organization. And so really identifying the, the challenge and the pain point and what's driving that pain point, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't have any kind of leadership development opportunities, if you don't have job descriptions that lead to fair practices for promoting people, those are operational type challenges that have led to a pain point, but they're cultural as to why you didn't do them. <laughs> right. And so when you can identify the pain point, pull everyone along to say, this is how we can overcome the pain point. Then you are creating that collaborative, uh, that collaborative uh, type environment that's necessary to really get the organization to where it needs to be. And then of course, the third part is having the right people at the table at the right time. Right. That makes <laughs> sense. Right. That makes sense. Because we can't bring everybody in at the very beginning because everyone does need to make certain decisions, but knowing who needs to be at the table at the right time. And that, right. that is where you get the most collaboration, I believe. I agree. Um, that's a great answer to that question. You know, I'm wondering also, what are some of the like challenges that you experience with um, transforming culture in any type of organization? I think when it, regardless of what in, uh, industry you work in, whatever sector you're working in, the, the challenge with cultural transformation really stems from the top, the leadership team. Okay, yep, yeah. You don't come in as a frontline employee you probably shouldn't come in as a frontline employee and think that your job is to change the culture of the organization. Right. You will quickly burn out. Right. Because some things are just, even if it's tolerated, that's still making a decision, right? Right. To tolerate it. Right, right. So, so if you're going to have cultural transformation, you have to have your senior leadership team on board without the senior leadership team on board. It, and it doesn't have to be the whole team. You just need one, one who's influential enough to coerce the entire team. <laughs> 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 but but that is that is the challenge. I will say that there is um, in the nonprofit sector, this uh, conundrum, and it's, it's, I'm trying to remember the, the technical phrase that people use, but it's about, I think it's founder's syndrome. 
Okay. That's what they call it founders syndrome. So you have someone who had a cause and was passionate about it, and they started this organization um, to uh, to eliminate whatever problem that existed in the community, and uh, they spent their life raising money and you know building this organization that's going to provide this service, and it's their baby. Yeah. Um, and then when someone comes in to try to help them, you have to be very careful not to critique their baby. Right, right. Um, and then on the other side of that, when it's nearing a retirement age, then there's this this um, sort of sadness about oh, this yeah. is my life's work and how what is my legacy going to be when I leave it? Oh, interesting. And so and so with founders in particular, which you can you can relate um, or, or you can uh, compare that to entrepreneurs. Right? Yes, yes. So with founders in particular, there are there are some you know um, you have to handle it with care mm-hmm. to know that this is someone's life's work that you are helping them to to manage or to transform uh, and to leave a legacy that is fitting for what they believe they've done with the work that they've been able to produce in that organization. And so those types of transformations can be a little trickier because yeah. you're working with the founder or you're working with, you know, uh, well, whether it's a founder in a nonprofit, but an entrepreneur or founder of a, a, a for-profit business, there are some, some emotions attached that may not be there if you weren't the person who started the work. Right. And I could see that really showing up in family businesses as well. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, you don't want to mm-hmm. tell anybody they have an ugly baby. When exactly. Born, right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and then, who thought of this? <laughs> right. And then, you know, the organization goes through its teenage years and kind huh? of makes it through. And then now that we're through it, how do I let go of it? And what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting because in that case, the cultures kind of changed and evolved along with the leader. Exactly. Um, and so therefore the, you know, the operations as well in order to get and, it there. And the other part to that is some leaders are better at trying to create a culture that doesn't depend on them than others. Uh-huh. Right. Say more about that. So in the very beginning stages of of an organization's development, the leader, the founder, uh, the entrepreneur um, has a particular personality and strengths, right? Skill set. Yes. That organization is going to be strong where that person is strong. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like a re- it reflects that personality of their the leader in the right. early stages. But as the organization grows, there should be some attempt made to find um, support in areas where that leader is weak. Mm-hmm. So it balances out the organization. Right. As it continues to grow, it's less about that leader's personality. Right. <laughs> and it becomes more about what the organization is trying to accomplish as a whole. Right. Right. Some leaders never overcome that stage or never get past that stage of it needs to reflect me. Right. Right. It doesn't have its own identity outside of me. Right. And that's where you also find a lot of challenges when it comes to transforming an organization, because really we're trying to transform you. Right. (laughs) 
right <laughs> and That's, not your organization right so when you think of like michael dell and um steve jobs and mm -hmm. you know these entrepreneurs mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um really have gone through the process and then you know been able to stay at the top even though the company has like grown tremendously Mm -hmm. it, it'd be interesting to know how they did that. Right. To really sit down and talk through, how did you uh, get to the point where you could let it go? Right. I think that's, that's the, that's the struggle for every entrepreneur. Yes. I can't, I can't do it all by myself, but how do I let it go? Right. Because I don't want it to crash and burn. Right. But people have done it. So we know yeah. it's possible. It's possible. And right? if you have a good team around you, I think they'll sit down and say, hey, listen, you know, you've got to let go of this, this, and this, because we need you to do what you're good at. And, and that's, that's yeah. the key. That's the key, because you have to be secure enough to trust your team. Right. Because what happens is if, if the leader is not secure enough to trust the team, they'll just get team members who are yes people. Right. Exactly. Right. So you could very much... Um, sort of squash this momentum. Yes. Because you are moving in the right direction. You did hire the folks. You did go out and, and build a really good team that could, you know, compensate for areas that you you don't have strengths in. And, and now you can really see the growth that needs to happen. But if you're not secure enough as a leader, what you'll do is you'll try to make everyone do things the way you want it to be done and not obtain right. new ideas and ways of doing things. And you will shrink your team back down to a team that you can handle, that will do what you want to do. And it will kill the momentum of an organization trying to grow beyond. Right. And that wraps all the way back to culture, right? Because yep. for entrepreneurial organizations, the culture really evolves quickly around the speed and agility of which the business needs to grow. Mm -hmm. And if you don't keep up with that, um, mm -hmm. or lead that you're getting yourself into trouble. Yeah. That's really and interesting. And sometimes you just need to continue to develop as a leader. Maybe you had a lid, right? There's a, there's a leadership lid that you have and you need to grow beyond that lid, which means you need to be exposed to more ways of, of leading organizations. And that's why I think it's so vitally important, especially, you know, in the nonprofit space or in the small business space that as a senior leader, uh, we know it's expensive because you're the one trying to raise all the resources to get this work done, but don't forsake your own personal um, and professional development. Right. Right. You really need to take the time out to do that. Mm -hmm. And you as do. an entrepreneur, you know, four times around, I found that that is a real challenge. It is. But, but the more, the more I invest in my professional development and personal development, the more, um, of a flow, I think I feel in terms mm -hmm. of in terms of the work that I'm doing with my organization. And, you know, you get so caught up in the mission of what you're doing and all of that, but you really don't build enough self-awareness uh, in order to understand your impact on everything. Right. right. One of the phases in that change curve is exploration. Right. 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 And so we can't be change practitioners when we never explore how to do new things. Right. Right. That's, that's like, you know, sort of oxymoronic, right? Like 
<laughs> you're a change practitioner, but you don't change. So, <laughs> so it's it just a, a part of, and one of the reasons why, you know, I have a certification in change management is because I recognize that so much of the work I do is not about a task. It's not about a specific project. It's more about the people. Yeah. How do we bring the people along on this journey? And I've learned that personally, because as an entrepreneur, I recognize that there are things, if, when I go to a professional development sort of meeting or whatever it is, I meet new people who have new ideas and they they charge me. Like, it's almost like, oh, I was thinking about this kind of wrong. Or maybe I didn't think about this fully, even if right. I was wrong, just fully. Now I have new ideas and new new ways of doing things I can go back and implement in my own organization. Yes. To stay flexible is important. Yes. Be around people who are going where you want to go, doing what you want to do, and not staying in this tight bubble because the work is so uh, so pressing and the work, you know, you're always in the weeds. You can't get to that 50,000 foot level to really see what you need to see because you're you're just stuck in the mundane day-to-day, -day, you know, work of, of running a business. Um, and that's where I find a lot of... Um, uh, nonprofit leaders because they don't feel like one that they can use those resources for professional development uh as much as folks may be in the for-profit sector because there is this um i can't i think the number is 30 percent if you're using more than 30 percent of your budget uh on administration you're right. sort of down on as a nonprofit. like you, there's this number like you shouldn't go beyond that because yeah. you know you're, it may appear to be that you're using resources unwisely and your donors may think that you're not using the money on the cause. Yeah. And what we found is that many of the nonprofits trying to adhere to that number are wearing their staff out because they don't have enough staff or resources to actually do the work by trying okay. to stay in that number. They could probably reach more people and you know provide more services if they had the support of their board and um, and those who you know are controlling the pocketbook, if you will, um, if they were able to get more uh, professional development resources and things like that to do the work differently and better. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, we're we're almost out of time here, Miriam. Um, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and insight on such a range of topics. Uh, this is. <laughs> This has been a great conversation, um, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, how could uh, folks get a hold of you if they want to follow up? Sure. So um, we have a, a presence on LinkedIn, 180 Management Group. I have a specifically have a presence on LinkedIn, Miriam uh, Dix, and you're welcome to ping me there if you have some questions. Um, if you want to uh, go to our website, 180managementgroup.com, that's 180-4180, 180managementgroup.com. Um, if you want to have a consultation for leadership or training or speaking or operations consulting, you can go out to that website and uh, schedule some time with any of us at uh, at 180 Management Group. But definitely, definitely would love to hear from you, uh, especially if you have some questions um, about some of the things that we talked about or if it's really just stirring in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I said something that stirred you up. Uh, reach on out. We'd be glad to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll be able to have you back again. Well, thank you. I look forward to that. Okay. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.